seated. Uh, I want to just say before we get started tonight, amen, I'm so thankful that you have joined us on Thursday night, and uh, this is our uh, midweek service. Obviously, most of you already know, but we will be changing to Wednesday next year. I'm going to keep, I'll probably say that probably 50 times between now and the end of the year, because if I don't, you'll maybe show up here Thursday and not, yes, not Wednesday next year. So make sure, mark it on your calendars when you start planning things. We're doing this because a lot of the school functions and different uh, events for our children and our young people, they uh, usually leave Wednesday off and they usually schedule stuff on Tuesdays and Thursdays if they're going to schedule things. So we're trying to do this to make it easier for our families to be able to be here together on uh, the midweek. And so we want to do everything in our power, amen, to make that possible. I, I also want to mention, and I, I know that you have received an email if you are connected to the church. You've received an email this afternoon, this evening, uh, probably right before you got here. Just a reminder, two weeks from tonight is our Christmas party, and that will be at the Louisville campus. We'll have our Christmas party at 7 o'clock. It'll be at the normal time that services, but obviously if you live in Radcliffe or further down in E-Town, you'll have to leave a little bit earlier to get uh, to Louisville campus at 7, but it's only about 20 to 25 minutes, uh, just depending on traffic from here. We're going to have a great time, and I uh, want to make sure that everybody's aware of that, and if you, for some reason, you're not on Facebook or you're not getting social media or you don't get emails, see uh, Crystal, and she will make sure that you have the details that you need and also RSVP you to come. There is not a ticket fee, but there is a $5 suggested donation for everybody that comes, and that will be just to help us cover our food costs for the event. So we invite you to be a part of that. We always have a good time. Um, I, I think we're going to have an even better time this year. Uh, I don't know why. I just think we are. 2019. I think we're going to have a better time. It's going to be awesome. Amen. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is a very uh, popular verse. It's actually a very popular portion of verses. And it's, it's something that uh, we've probably heard or maybe you've heard several times before. I'm going to try to do my best uh, to, to present uh, this principle, this communion principle tonight. I want to do my best to present this, but I'm hoping to maybe do it in a way that you have not heard before, and um, something that has kind of stood out to me, and uh, the Bible's like that. You know, you can read through the Bible uh, every day or every year. Uh, some of you have read through the Bible multiple times, and each new time you read through it, there's more that kind of sticks out to you, stands out to you than did before. And uh, so that's what uh, happens to me a lot of times as I'm studying, as I'm reading. And uh, sometimes I come across things and I'm like, wow, I never, I, I didn't even think about that. Uh, so that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. It says, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth, and he says that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And then he goes on, obviously, and 
uh, talks about when he gave when he had given thanks he he broke it and uh, we we understand that the bread is representative of the Lord's body and the the, the wine or the the fruit of the vine is the uh, representative of the blood of the Lord and we we take communion when we take communion I, I you know I think a lot of times when we take communion or when we talk about taking communion um, many sit back and they overanalyze far too much about what it means to receive or to partake of communion unworthily. And I've had even people tell me, Pastor, I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't want to take communion because I feel like I might be taking it unworthily. And so a lot of times we have to go into a lengthy explanation of what that means. And uh, I'll just keep it very simple for you tonight. You're taking it unworthily when you take it uh, very lightly and when you have not prepared your heart and your spirit to receive uh, that spiritual time with God and uh, when you've allowed things in your life to just kind of be out of control and you don't care but you're still going to take it. Uh, that's when you're taking it unworthily. And uh, then there are those who I think don't ever consider the magnitude of it at all and they don't really care whether they're taking it unworthily or not. They just do it as a ritual that they have kind of grown accustomed to when I go to church or when I'm around you know, this church or that church, I'm just, I just take communion. We just take communion. It's just what we do. Um, I had an eye-opening conversation with somebody a few months ago, and uh, they asked me, they said, they said so uh, what, is the, what is the communion thing all about? And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, like we do it every week, and I don't even really understand why we're doing it. And I said, well, you know it's the body and the blood of the Lord. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, why do we take it? And I thought, wow, I don't know if I would want to be at that church uh, if they never took the time to explain what communion was all about. And so that kind of prompts me to um, be very careful whenever we take communion here. And, and there have been some times that I have taken communion that, that God really spoke to me during that time of communion. There was a time right here in this sanctuary that the Lord moved tremendously on my heart uh, and, and, and some things that I will never forget. I mean, I can tell you where I was standing and what, what God impressed upon me. Uh, one year at General Conference, uh, I, took, uh, the, I took communion with a, a, a large portion of the ministry of the United Pentecostal Church. We all took it together, and it, I just felt the power of the Lord in such, a, in such an awesome way, and, and it was like the whole thing was an act of worship and just, uh, just very moving and you know, I, 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 really, um, I really hope that that happens every time that we take communion here. And, and really, it's my desire that uh, communion for us, for this church, would be a time of commitment. It would be a time of anointing. It would be a time of spiritual refreshing for you and for this church. And so that brings us to our scripture that we read about 1 Corinthians 11.23 and this passage of scripture marks a passage in time. It's important to understand that when Paul wrote these words that he was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, right? That's what the scripture says. Uh, and I am certain that the higher voice of the Spirit was beckoning to Paul uh, to illustrate a principle to the New Testament church. And again, I want to tell you that I've never really considered this as much as I did in, in preparing for this today. Uh, that the principle is so powerful that we, we sometimes just really overlook it. The, the principle is that communion with God 
is a very weighty issue, and invariably, where there is communion, there will also be betrayal. Because I look at this, Paul could have written to us, he could have said, in the same night in which he, and he could have gone so many different directions from that, right? He could have said, in the same night which he washed the feet of his disciples, right? Because that would have been accurate. He could have said, in the same night in which he spent the Passover meal with those closest to him. He could have said in the same night that he prayed in the garden. He could have said in the same night that he gave the disciples a lasting message. And in the same night in which he was simply present with his disciples, he could have said any one of those things. I mean, they all would have been accurate. But why did Paul say what he said? Why did he say in the same night in which he was betrayed? If Paul would have written that Jesus had washed the feet of his disciples, we would see the aspect of moral and spiritual cleansing that took place. That's, that's what the focus would have, would have been on. And if Paul would have written that Jesus prayed the great prayer of John 17, I think we could have seen the Lord's desire for unity and holiness in the church. That, that seems like it would have been a great uh, focus and great principle to bring across, but if Paul would have written that Jesus wrestled in the garden, we would have seen the weight of redemption played out in tandem with the process of communion, how weighty and how important and, and how measurable it is. And these events, I think, they would have marked communion with a greater glory and it would have taken on almost a surreal kind of atmosphere. And, and I, I kind of look at Paul and I'm like, dude, why did you go that direction? Like, sometimes when I'm presenting stuff, I'm thinking, I need to present this in the best possible way. I, I want people to think highly of Jesus. I want them to think highly of uh, uh, the, the sacrifice that he uh, made for them and, and what we have available to us. And so, Paul writes in a way that is, in, in some fashion, confusing. He said that, I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. He's not marking a point in history. I mean, he could have, like, that was the specific night, right? He wasn't saying, okay, it was that, that one night. But, but more importantly, I think what he was doing is he was setting a precedent for those who were at the church in Corinth and those that might have followed and would follow throughout history, he was trying to give them the precedent of the principle of communion. It's kind of like, why do we do what we do? Why do you do what you do? You know? Uh, sometimes people don't understand why. I think I've told you guys probably about ten times at least that uh, there was this little girl, and her name was Vanessa, and, and her mom was German. Her dad was in the military, and one of her first Sundays here, I guess, I got a little animated. And at the park afterwards, when we were all having fellowship, I said, so Vanessa, what did you think about the service today? She said, why were you screaming and sweating up there? <laughs> like, she didn't, she didn't understand. You know, sometimes when it gets hot, the preacher sweats, and he gets all super animated, and, and it didn't make sense to her. She didn't understand the why, and I think sometimes we don't really truly understand the why, 
And Paul wasn't trying to help us with the historical fact that communion actually took place, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, that, that, that actually took place on this specific night before he was crucified. He wasn't trying to relate that principle. What he was trying to do was help us to understand why. What surrounded it, what, what went along with it. And so the principle is this. There's bread, but there's also betrayal. One of the, the I think, strongest communion principles that we, that I, again, I've never really <laughs> dug into, is that you will enjoy bread, but you will also encounter the enemy. It's going to always be like this until death or until the rapture. Communion has price tags. This week we're hearing all kinds of um, uproar, right? Anybody ever heard Chick-fil-A? <laughs> Chick-fil-A, I mean, it's like, anybody know what I'm talking about? A few of you do. Some of you don't. So, so there's a big discussion going on right now. Is Chick-fil-A abandoning their Christian principles? And then you got the other side that says Chick-fil-A is not abandoning their Christian principles. They, they just choose to support who they support and not support other people and blah, 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 blah. Long story short, there's a discussion because the, the LGBTQ community has been putting a lot of pressure on Chick-fil-A. And so there are some that believe that Chick-fil-A is caving and they're not staying true to their, their principles. And, and then there are those that are saying, oh, they're fine. They're true to their principles. They're just making some changes in the way they do things. And I don't know what the exact truth is, but I do know people are talking about it because communion has price tags. If you're going to stand for truth, you're going to stand for righteousness, and you're going to do the right thing and say Jesus is Lord, and we're not open on Sunday, and all these things that they're going to do, you're going to have some people that are going to come after you. Some of you are going to leave here, and you're going to be like, huh, I wonder what pastor stands on the Chick-fil-A thing. And I'm going to tell you what I've told everybody else. We'll just wait and see. Because time usually tells. Better to wait and see than to pop off and be wrong. Well, anyways. I know, I know. Some of you think, well, that's not too big a deal. Let, let me, can I bring up another one? Let me just throw another one out there because me and my kids have been talking about it. Kanye. All right. Anybody ever heard of Kanye? No. A no. couple of you? Okay. Some of you are like, Whatever. So there's a, a controversy about Kanye. As a matter of fact, they've even written these articles about Brother Kanye. Like they had Brother Saul in the book of Acts. And some people are wondering, is he for real? Is he the real deal? Is he, what, what, is, what is his angle? What's he trying to do? And, and when people ask me, they say, what do you think about Kanye? I'm like, um... Well, the scripture says, Jesus said, if they're not against us, they're for us. Does that mean I'm going out and buying Kanye stuff? Oh, no. <laughs> but at the same time, it's hard to watch his interviews. It's hard to listen to what he's talking about and the change that's going on in him and not realize something legitimate happened to that guy. So, 
We can sit on the side of, well, I don't want to have any kind of fellowship with this dude. Or we can say, hey, maybe God's doing something in his life. And communion and being in community has price tags. There are some people that Kanye may be able to reach if this is a legit conversion and he keeps moving forward. There may be some people that he will reach that you and I would never have an opportunity to reach. So that's why Jesus said, hey, if they're not against us, they're for us. And, and I'll go even further. He said, look, sometimes you got to let the wheat grow up with the chaff. Well, anyways, I knew it wasn't going to be popular, but I just thought I'd throw it out there for you. Am I a Kanye fan? No, I'm not. But I'm, I'm amazed at what's happening in the guy's life. You know, and I think we need to at least consider that sometimes our communion and our community and communion one with another, it has price tags. Paul's principle that he wants to get across here is, is that there is going to be betrayal. Well, what if, what if Kanye flips out and he's not for real? We've had some, you know, preachers that have done that. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to be really honest, we've had some of our best singers that have flipped out and He's coming the other way. I mean, they're going one direction. He's coming the other. Anywho, I'll get off Kanye. Betrayal is not the point. That's what Paul's trying to tell us here. Betrayal is not the point. The glory of communion rises higher than the dilemmas of life. You're going to have conflict. You're going to have betrayal. You're going to have letdown. But the great thing about it is the dilemmas of life do not shade anything with communion. Because with communion comes betrayal. Rembrandt, he was the masterful artist, and he used this method of painting. Uh, he would paint a very decisive contrast of light and shadow, and the backgrounds of his work were always dark, and then the face that he would paint or the object that he would paint would stand out in strong relief to the darkness of the background. If you've ever, if you've not seen a Rembrandt, you can just Google Rembrandt painting, and you know, there's several that will pop up. But you'll see very quickly, you won't even have to click on one to, to see it, you'll just be able to see just from what pops up, there's so many uh, images, they're all dark in the background with a, a central figure or an object or a face in the foreground. Paul kind of puts this lamp in the feast. The background is dark with betrayal because, you know, you've got, uh, you got Judas, right? And the foreground is showing the patience, the compassion, the steadfastness of the Lord in the middle of the greatest trial of his life. William Cloud said this, he said, Those long and heavy hours of the night in which Judas sat by Christ's side make the darkest background against which any character was ever set. See the malicious glint in his eyes. Grasp the, the madness of his mind. Feel the turmoil of eddying emotions darkening Judas's heart. Watch the racing of the heart as he contemplates his next move. But then Paul shows Jesus spreading a table of forgiveness. Cleansing, uh, a, a table for cleansing, a table for communion, a table for unity in the very hour in which malice and greed and hatred 
are raising their wicked heads. I, I've, I've kind of started to get a grasp on this, but it's a little troubling because I think when I think about communion, I'm not thinking about Judas. But Paul says, you can't have what Jesus did without what Judas did. We have some contrasts here. We have grace with sin. We have faithfulness with treachery. We have love with hate. We have gentleness with the calloused. And, and this betrayal was not just a single act. It just, it's just that it all came to head in the garden, right? This, this kiss in, in the garden was, was the, uh, probably the summation of all of it, but it was a series of thoughts. It was a series of decisions that revolves around every single one of these that were known already to Jesus. He already knew what he was going to do. He knew. He knew ahead of time. And, and, and you know, sometimes we think we know what other people are thinking. Jesus did. Sometimes we think we know what other people meant towards us. Jesus did. The Lord had watched in a similar fashion as a physician watches a disease destroy a patient's body. He had seen what had happened all along with Judas, and now on this last night, he watches the final stage coming together. The fever rises to a burning flame and he sends the meaning of betrayal in Judas's words and he sees the shiftiness in his eyes as, as he couldn't even lift his gaze to meet Jesus. He sensed the sullen anger that was in Judas's heart and everything that was hideous and repulsive. The Lord saw it. He knew that it was there. I mean, we could almost take it in a better manner if the villain had been some wild ruffian that nobody could, nobody could stand, but, but he wasn't. His face and his words were fair and light, but there was malice in his heart that was inspired by hell. You may know some people like that. You may know some things that are going on in life like that, and you may say, but you don't understand what I'm dealing with. You don't, you don't know the betrayal and the hurt and the pain that I have had to come in, into contact with. And I would ask you to consider with me, and, and some of you might be like, well, Pastor, I think you're making too much of what Paul said. Maybe, maybe you're just making a big deal. I, I, you might be wondering, how could you come up with this kind of deduction? Look at the reactions of the disciples. Just look. I, I'm not making this up. To a man in that small upper room that night, they all wanted some insight as to who the traitor was. <laughs> they, they all wanted to know, who is it that's going to betray him? He had hidden his his betrayal so well that the only one who knew was the Son of God. Therefore, it would appear that there was nothing that Judas did or said that would have given them an inkling as to what he was up to. The disciples couldn't see it, but the Lord saw it all. Judas was like a runaway train. He was headed at breakneck speed toward a bridge that was out over a deep canyon. And what did Jesus do? He could have avoided Judas, or he could have opened up with a withering rebuke to him, but he did not. 
He served him the sop. He did his best to fellowship the villain. I struggle with this right here. Because there's times when people have done me or have done my family or have done this church wrong. And I don't, I don't run people off of this church. I really don't. Most of you know that. You, you know me pretty well. But I struggle sometimes whenever there are people that I know are not everything that they claim to be and their intentions are not everything that they claim that they are. And so sometimes I struggle with this because Jesus does his best to fellowship the traitor. Jesus does his very best to keep loving the traitor, to show the traitor love, and he actually even serves the traitor by washing his feet. And so I came to this conclusion several years ago that I will not spend my life fighting you can get on social media, you can blast the church, and you can blast people for all their stupidness, and there's a lot of it out there, but I won't do it. And I'm not going to join in with you whenever you want to run people off from the church because they're not doing everything the way you think it should be done. Because what I've found is that Jesus loves the traitor. And even though I struggle with it, if I want to be like Jesus then some stuff in my heart has to change. And I've got to be willing, as he reached out and as he kept loving, even to the end, I want the focus of my life to be communion with God, not quarrels with other people. There's some people that they get up in the pulpit every Sunday and they're blasting something, they're against something, and man, everything's just wrong, and they can't stand this person over here and that person over there. And it's just, it's like, really, that's not what this is about. Do we have imperfect people in our church? Absolutely. Do we have imperfect people preaching to people in our church? Even more so. I want the focus of my life to be communion with God. I want you to look at the uh, element of character that the Lord displayed. He's still trying to reach to the troubled soul of Judas. The man. He's still reaching for the man. He, he's overlooking the betrayal. He's overlooking the hurt. And, and he's looking to the man. More than one woman has taken back a sorry husband who betrayed trust and destroyed finances and broke the home apart. When this happens, and I'm not saying that, that it has to be the case in every situation and that every woman should take back every man. I'm not because there are some situations where it's just, it's, it's not right. It's, it's not good. It's dangerous. And, and I'm not advocating that that needs to be the case every time. So don't misunderstand me, but hear me. Whenever that does happen and forgiveness is given and reconciliation can be made, I can tell you this, that's walking in heavenly places. That's allowing grace to triumph over sin. Sometimes we can't forgive people for taking our parking spot. We can't forgive them for cutting us off on the highway. And I, I, I struggle sometimes because I'm thinking, God, you gave so much grace. You were so merciful. And you spread a table in spite of betrayal. 
you, you were being betrayed. You knew you were going to be betrayed. Still, you sent the disciples. You, you organized the upper room. You, when they all came in, you put the towel about your waist, and you went and you washed their feet, even though because they were all too busy and too important to do that. So you did it. You, as their Lord, showed them the heart of a servant. And, and you went above and beyond what you had to do. And so I find that whenever we can give grace and forgiveness when it's not deserved, then that is when we're most like Jesus. When we can have communion with people who really don't deserve The highest form of communion, I believe, is always going to be the one in which the bread rises far above the betrayal. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, yeah, you, you, you might have hurt me, and I might still be dealing with some stuff right now, but if I don't forgive, and I don't, I don't move above that, and I don't still offer you fellowship and friendship and communion that I'm not being like the Lord. Pastor, I don't I really wish we weren't talking about this. <laughs> can't, can't we can't we just talk about what Jesus did and <laughs> we are, <laughs> but we're also talking about how it applies to us. It's always in the dark night of betrayal frustration, of hurt, that grace finds its largest opportunity. If you always get along with everybody, nothing ever goes wrong, eh, you don't really need grace. If everything goes smooth, no problem, no issues, everything's good. But it was on that first night of betrayal when man had been false to God and ate the bitter fruit of failure. It was, it was in the night of great sin that Jonah built his ark that saved his family. And it was in the night of great unrighteousness that Sodom, uh, that he was living in, Lot was rescued from. And we could go throughout all the scripture and we could see a pattern repeated over and over and over, undeserving yet forgiven. A loaf of bread and a flagon of wine, because that's what it takes. I don't understand it. I, I really don't. Uh, my humanity sometimes struggles with being like Jesus. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to call things out. Use that righteous indignation. And sometimes that's, you got to, yeah, yeah, you just have to call it for what it is. But when it comes to fellowship, to love, to communion, to being in unity, uh, it's hard to get past the experience of Jesus who was betrayed. And in that same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. He broke it. And he shared it. Greatness, I think, is always summoned from misery. Because the bread, if, if the bread's really going to rise to the occasion, somewhere there's going to be a, a monster of betrayal lurking. If you're ever really going to find out what you're made of, you're going to have to go through something. It's hard for us because we don't want to go through anything. 
We'd like to just sail through smoothly. Hey, I got my ticket punched. I'm on my way to heaven. Everything's good. No troubles. I'm just re- I just want to make it to heaven. That's all I want to do. Right? So then, why does Paul say, I want to understand the fellowship of his suffering? I, I want to experience that. Why? Because in order for there to be redemption, there must be a cross. That's why Jesus tells us, take up your cross and follow me. This is the way that the gifts of the Spirit flow in the hour of duress and difficulty. Take bread. Take bread, forgive, love, rise above. Let the Spirit of Jesus lead and guide you. Because pain is always going to be the forerunner to success in the kingdom of God. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. In the Pilgrim's Progress story, we, uh, we watched this, the animated version, not too long ago. The sisters in the great house, I don't know if you remember that part of the story, but the sisters in the great house, is, is, it's representative of the church. But the sisters in the house, they actually filled Christian's bag with a a loaf of bread and a flagon of wine. He had no idea how important that would be to him at a later point in his life. I want to close today and just tell you that you might not think communion is very important. And you may think it's just a ritual or maybe just a sacrament of the church. But the principle is that there can be a table in, in spite of all the betrayal. You can still be at unity with others even when they are egregiously mocking you, when they're picking on you, when they are betraying you. You can forgive even when you don't want to forgive. You can. I, I look at what Jesus did and I can't get past His example. I, I wish that uh, we, could, we could just pick up on Paul's uh, principle here that he wants to get across, that no matter what you face, no matter who the traitor is, no matter who the hurt came from, or where, you know, but you don't understand, it was the person that was closest to me, it was this, uh, it was family member, it was this, my spouse, it was, we could go through the whole list, and some of you, uh, look, if you are looking for somebody that has hurt you, you won't have to look far. But what Paul is saying is that comes with life. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be hurt. People are going to let you down. Even leaders are going to let you down. People, the closest people to you will let you down. And he says, that's what Jesus did in the night which he was betrayed. And that night is when he decided to take communion. And be in unity even with those who hurt, even with those who betrayed, even with those who meant him evil. But I don't think I can do that. (laughs) Well, Thanksgiving dinner's coming up. You don't understand my family, Pastor. (laughs) I mean, I'm only going to be there as long as I absolutely have to be. Why not turn the table this year? 
Why not go in there to that person who's been causing you so much trouble, maybe even lying about you to the rest of the family? Why don't you love on them like never before? Why don't you let them know, hey, I've been thinking about you. As a matter of fact, I've been praying for you. You can only say that if you really have. Don't lie. But, and, and don't be like, God, he coals a fire on their head, because that's not right either. Pray for them. Pray that God will touch them, that they would get closer to God. Pray blessings upon their life, and that the love of God would shine into their life. And then let them know, hey, I know you don't, you know, and they, they may even tell you, I still don't like you. That's fine. Let them know, I love you. I'm praying for you. Reach out to them. Why not turn the table this year? Because there can be a table despite the betrayal. That's the principle of communion. I know that sometimes we look at things and we don't really consider what we're doing. But tonight when we take communion, I want you to do this. Before we get into communion, as they come to the music, before we, before we take communion, I want you to search your heart and I want you to see, is there somebody in my heart, somebody in my mind, somebody in my spirit, not just under my skin, but they're actually... They're actually on my heart right now, and I know that that's probably who God's talking to me about. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe your, your head is clear and your heart is fine and you're pure as the, the fresh snow. But for those of you that you've been hurt, you've been betrayed, you've been lied on, you've been mistreated, and all these things have risen to the, the surface tonight. This is what I want to tell you. He offers to us, while we were yet sinners, in all of our sin, when we were at the very worst that we could be, the Scripture says Christ died for us. In other words, at our lowest point, when we were at our very worst, communion came to life. The actual act of his body being broken, his blood being shed. For us, he did that when we were at our worst. He prepared a table for us. Despite our betrayal, despite our, our turning our nose at him and doing our own thing, even when we knew what he wanted us to do, we still did whatever we wanted to do. And it was at that point he said, I love them and, and forgive them for they know not what they do. And so what he's asking us to do and what Paul is really stressing, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed. You're going to face it. You're going to deal with hurt. Life is going to deal you some blows. But in that very time, in that very hour, in those moments where you're frustrated, know that there can be a table there despite the betrayal. You can, you can reach out and love you can forgive. You can exercise grace. You can actually get along with people that you didn't think you could get along with. Why? Because his body was broken. His blood was shed. And if he can do it for you and I, how much easier is it for us to see ourselves and realize we can do it for somebody else? Would you stand with me tonight? There are those in this place tonight and you maybe have not ever taken communion. Uh, maybe you have, but it's been a while. I want us to start, before we do anything else, I want us to start by just taking a few moments 
uh, we're just going to pray. We're just going to clear our hearts and ask God, God, if there's anything in me that's not pleasing you, if there's anything that would separate me from uh, being who you want me to be, God, if there's malice or anger or hatred in my heart, if there's things that, then, then God, deal with me about it and, and forgive me and help me uh, to, to be the one that offers a table in spite of betrayal. Help me to be the one who offers forgiveness and grace to others. And if you can do that tonight, if you are in that frame of mind and you say, I'm ready, I, I, I really, I want to be like Jesus, even to the fellowship of his suffering, even to the place where it's hard for me to forgive, but I will because he did. This is what I want you to do. Just begin to pray right now and begin to ask God, God, if there's anything in me, search my heart. Lord, if there's anything that's not pleasing you, I want you to take it out. God, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to be pleasing to you. Search me right now, God. If there's anything that's, uh, the, any sin, anything that would keep me, Lord, from uh, receiving or partaking of communion, uh, Lord, then today, right now, I want to deal with it. Before I leave this place, I want to make sure that my heart's right. I want to make sure that my spirit is right with you. And God, I want to be pleasing to you. Help me to forgive like you forgave. Help me to love like you love. God, help me to see people the way that you see people. Lord, if there's anything in me, God, right now, I pray that you would bring it to my mind. If there's somebody in my, in my world that I need to talk to, somebody that I need to make things right with, somebody that I need to have a conversation with, God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would bring that to my mind. Help me to make those things right. God, I'm purposing, Lord, to prepare a table and to allow communion and unity to take place in my life even to the ones who have hurt me, even to the ones who uh, ha have, have betrayed me or been a traitor in my life. God, I want to have your mind. I want to have your heart. I want to have your perspective. And I want to give you the glory with my life. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus, of everything, God, that's not pleasing you. Forgive me, Lord, for my attitude and the things that I've done and said and thought, Lord, that have kept you, Lord Jesus, from uh, ruling and reigning in my life. And I pray, God, that you would soften my heart, open up my heart and my spirit, God, to what you want to do in my life and in my family and in my community and the circle of influence that I have with people, Lord. I pray, God, right now, I pray that you would help me to understand this principle, Lord, that Paul brought out about how when you were betrayed that you still had communion. You still served the traitor. And God, you still loved and reached for that one who was unlovable. Help me to do the same. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Brother Bond and Brother Dummett, if you guys would come on up here.